0: Hello, everyone. This is Adam Witte welcoming you to this month's Author Success University Teleseminar presented by Advantage Media Group, the business growth publisher. Every month, our Author Success University Teleseminar provides how-to information for authors. We teach you how to create, publish, and market a book to grow your business. Oftentimes, as is the case today, we feature highly successful authors who will share with you how they've built their businesses with a book. Today, my guest is Scott Weintraub, the co founder and Chief Marketing Officer at Healthcare Regional Marketing, and author of Results: The Future of Pharmaceutical and Healthcare Marketing on today 's teleseminar, Scott and I are going to discuss how he 's used his book to successfully grow his business. But before we get started, let me tell you a bit more about our guest. Scott Weintraub is a passionate uh, entrepreneur and passionate about advancing the use of regional marketing within the pharmaceutical, biotech, and life science industry. Prior to healthcare regional marketing, Scott worked in marketing at Pfizer and Procter & Gamble. Today, Scott focuses on partnering with brand leaders at pharmaceutical companies to develop regional marketing strategies and plans. Healthcare regional marketing has worked with six of the top ten pharmaceutical companies plus countless small and mid-sized companies. Inc. Magazine even awarded his company the fastest-growing pharmaceutical marketing company in the United States. On this call, Scott and I are going to talk how being a published author has helped him increase his visibility, his credibility, and ultimately how it's helped him grow his business. Scott, welcome to the call, and thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with our listeners today.
1: Thanks, Adam. I'm really excited.
0: Well, Scott, we've got a lot to talk about uh, and, and not a lot of time, so I'm going to jump right in, and, and I'm going to just start with a big-picture question. Uh, maybe share with our listeners just a little bit about your background and how you got to the point of wanting to uh, write and publish a book.
1: So um, you, you talked about I started at Procter & Gamble, went to Pfizer, and when I was at Pfizer, uh, what I noticed is um, the company was very successful as the largest pharmaceutical company in the world, and as they got bigger and bigger, um, my sense is they changed from trying to win to trying to not lose, um, and just less and less risk and more and more let's do the same thing we did last year, the same thing we did the year before, the same thing we did the year before, as it got us to the number one position. So marketing innovation became less and less. Um, So when I was there, I thought I did a couple innovative things, um, and eventually I decided, you know what, I'm going to leave and try to bring some of this innovation to the whole industry. And myself and uh, my co-founder both worked at Pfizer. We left. And then when we, uh, started, uh, you know, trying to sell our products and services to other pharmaceutical companies, we noticed that, you know, Pfizer was just like everybody else. They were all risk averse, trying not to lose, and innovation from a marketing standpoint just, um, wasn't, wasn't there anymore. So the more and more I heard, talk to managers, pharmaceutical brand managers and market managers, I, you know, just kind of got drawn to, you know what, I should tell these people how important innovation is. And, um, I was speaking with one of the, uh, the co-author of the book. Him and I were on a, uh, two-hour car ride and, you know, I brought it up. He's like, yeah, you should definitely do this. And, uh, you know, we just started talking and talking and I just got motivated that, yes, I'm going to sit down and, uh, write a book about, you know, what I think the future of, uh, pharmaceutical marketing is. So it was really a driven by, uh, frustration at the lack of innovation in the industry.
0: Well, I, I think there's a couple of points that that you made that are really uh, important. The, the first being that uh, as companies get bigger, um, the, the natural tendency is is to go from playing to win to playing not to lose. Uh, and it's interesting to hear you say that because that is consistent with the message that I've heard from other people that have been specifically at bigger companies. And as those bigger companies have grown, become bigger, become even more successful, it's it's almost as if there's a metamorphosis in mindset. Um, the second thing that, that you said, which I think is really interesting, is just how micro-niched your business is. Um, I have always believed as a marketing guy that that the riches are in the niches, and the more specific you can be about who your company is for, uh, and the more specific you can be about who your company is not for, the the easier it is to reach those people at, at a lower cost. And, and boy, I mean, you guys have just zeroed in, and there aren't many people that you are for, but for the few that you are, it, it seems like it's pretty obvious.
1: It's funny to say that because I'll meet a lot of folks like you, uh, small business owners like myself, and they'll say, oh, that's really great. You have this marketing company, and you're so niche, so focused. And it's kind of funny because at work I always talk about yeah, you know, we got to get much more focused than we are. We're way too broad. We got to get more and more focused and bullseye. So, uh I guess um, the fact that uh, we're more niche than 99% of the other companies has helped us and I think we can become even more niche. And I've never heard the term riches in the niches, um, but I'm going to probably steal at it and I might even say I came up with it myself Adam.
0: <laughs> you, you you have my full permission. Uh, I, I also love, Scott, the fact that, that the book was really born out of frustration. Uh and and that is out of the lack of innovation in marketing. And so you just said, you know, I'm tired of it. I'm gonna write a book to prove that that healthcare companies can innovate. Um so many things are born out of frustration. And it only makes sense that books should be, too. So, so let's talk about kind of big picture what the book has done for your business.
1: Um, it's really, uh, I'd say, three things and maybe two are related. Um, the first is uh, our, our company, we, we try to sell to people. So we um, network or cold call to people who we think are going to be our target audience, mostly based on title, and then as we peel back the onion, we learn psychographically if they're a target. But we basically network or cold call and ask them, would you like to meet with us to learn about what we do? So the books help tremendously in getting more meetings, people being more open. Um, And I think part of it is they just believe that, hey, if you're an author – Um, You're somewhat of an authority of this, and, you know, I've heard someone use the term, hey, this guy, he wrote the book on this topic. He knows this stuff. So it's definitely helped us get more appointments. Um, Second thing it's helped is at appointments, um, the credibility level is higher, and um, somehow we uh, work our way into the conversation that we have this book and we, we give it to them as a... Um, I've used the term. It's a it's a very expensive business card, but it stands out compared to other business cards. So it helps build you know authority or credibility during conversations. And then the third thing, which was a surprise to me, is um, there's been seeking um, opportunities that have come out of this. Um, and, and frankly, I really haven't even tried to make them happen. Um, I've uh, the book came out in August. Since then, two people have called me. And asked me, "Would you please come speak to our group?" Um, and one person even asked, "How much do you charge to do this?" And uh, I, I mean, I charge zero, but it made me think. It's like, wow, they're putting a lot of value on something that I, that I would do. So uh, those would be the three things that jump out: how the book helps grow the business. And
0: and, and Scott. Uh- as I understand you work with a very small number of clients but but the monetary value of those clients to your company is quite high um, so So if a book helps you get a new customer, is it safe to say that that new customer has more than paid for the book? Yes
1: yeah, so um uh, the, our, our average client our average first project with a client is $250,000. So if a would hire us based on the book, it would 10x pay for. Um, so yeah, all we need is one client to 10x pay for. So this, uh, for us, it's very easy for um, something like this to pay out
0: yeah that that that's really cool i'm sure there's other authors listening right now that are that are coveting the metrics that you have <laughs> um, you know where what one customer pays for a book times ten uh, but 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 I just want to comment you know the 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 often overlooked use of a book in in what i 'll call personal selling um, you know most business is still done handshake to handshake and whether it's the CEO who's involved in the personal selling, or whether they have a sales staff that's doing the personal selling. You, you know, it's very few businesses where people just go to a website and buy things and there's no human interaction. And and time and time again, having a book and using it to grease the wheels and make personal selling easier is one of the biggest ways that a book can benefit a business. And I think that sometimes people forget about that.
1: And, and grease the wheels is a good term because it's helped grease the wheels in terms of people wanting to meet with us. Um, and some of it is, hey, this, this company, this person, they're probably pretty smart since they wrote the book. Some of it is there's a percentage, um, it's, it's frankly a large minority. So it's not tiny, it's not huge, who just think it's cool to meet an author. So there's that percentage, Um, so both ways greasing the skids in terms of getting the meeting. And then, like you said, um, I've seen a few people, you know, literally light up when I hand them a book. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. Will you sign it? Can I get another copy for my manager? Um, You know, people just literally light up. And in terms of, you know, greasing the skids, just making the next meeting, you know, our uh, sales cycle, takes. You know, three, four meetings typically before we get a yes makes the next part of the sales cycle that much
0: easier. Yeah, yeah you know, one other comment that I'll make, and, and you illustrate this so well, is that most authors of ours that do a book, and you're a great example of that, you see yourself as the exact same person as to before you wrote the book and after you wrote the book. Uh, and so you see yourself as just being the same person you were before as you are after. And public perception, uh, is the opposite. The person that you were before the book in the eyes of the public, uh, is dramatically less than the person you are after the book. And so I remember, you know, you saying to me one, at one point before, like people will come up and ask you to autograph the book and and you're like it's this weird sensation when people do that because you see yourself as the same person that you were before as you are now but because you now have a book the public perceives you very differently it it it's it's really just a fascinating um it's a fascinating trend that authors should be prepared for uh, that That there is a psychological shift that must that there is a psychological shift that must happen too, Scott. I was just commenting on the psychological shift uh, that authors really have to make to prepare for being an author because although you see yourself as the same person, the public sees you as a very different person after you 've published the book
1: yeah, yeah that that 's true like the other day. Um Someone got a copy of the book, and afterwards, in terms of our we call it lead generation, getting people who want to meet with us, um, I spoke to the person, and uh, he ended and we had a half hour conversation about how our company might be able to help us. He ended the conversation with, um, "Hey, I just want to thank you for allowing me to read the book," and I was like, "Wow, you know that people don't talk to me like that in the past," and, and you're right, I. I wasn't prepared for the uh, mass reaction of how people would perceive me. Um, And now after a few comments like that where people have said, um, hey, how much do you charge for speaking, another speaking arrangement was um, set up by by my friends, and they said, yeah, when I told the people, hey, I got this guy, I bet he'd come and speak to, to this group, and the group said, you really think he'd come and speak with us? Um, they, people just perceive that, um, I don't know what percent of the population is a published author. Um, I'm guessing it's small, and people perceive that to be the top X percent, and it's top on that one metric, but, you know, being an author, I see it as average on many, many others, and, um, I actually have a minority point of view. I think most people see it as a, uh, a huge accomplishment, and, um, you know, I think most folks who do things don't think it's as big as people who haven't done it.
0: That that that's it. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, y- you also told me at one point before that that having the book has gotten additional media opportunities, and and a lot of that media is kind of in your niche, which is exactly where you want the media. But but what has the book done from a publicity angle? Yes.
1: Yeah, so um. You know, there's one opportunity where, uh, you know, probably, you know, now a couple hundred people know I've written a book and, you know, maybe 50 of those people are, you know, somewhat closer friends. So one of my closer friends, he's on an advisory board for a pharmaceutical uh, marketing group where there's like 32 paying members. They have quarterly meetings, and they were talking about, hey, we want to bring some type of innovative speaker quarterly, quarterly meeting. their day-and-a-half meeting. And my friend's like, hey, um, I know some guy. He just wrote a book. He told him a little bit about it. Um, I might be able to get him to talk. So, again, I didn't do anything. I never told my I'd be willing to talk. Um, he approached me, said, hey, would you be willing to do this? I said, yes. The person who runs the group called me, and it and it magically happened. Um, another situation was somewhat similar. Someone who runs a conference uh, blind emailed me. I almost deleted the email with the, actually I did delete the email without opening it because his title was X Y Z conference, and I get a thousand invitations to conferences, so I just deleted it. Then he sent another email where his title was. Um, would you, we, would you be willing to speak about your book? And that one I opened. And it was, you know, the exact same message. Hey, we're having this conference. We'd love you to come. So these things just happened, and and I really didn't do anything above and beyond writing the book, handing it out, letting people know about it. And, you know, these two opportunities came. And in the past, I've tried to uh, speak at conferences. And uh, in our industry, they usually make you. Hey, hey, you want to come to our conference and speak, um, you just need to become a sponsor, and that's, you know, $15,000. So even on that metric, the book's paid out because i got two speaking engagements which are probably worth $15,000 each, which, again, that alone pays for the book. So um, in just a short time, it's paid out many times.
0: You know, it's interesting, Scott, because – a lot of people on the speaking side, they might say, well, you know, I don't want to go speak unless they're going to pay me to come speak. Some people look at it that way. And and I think you have the right approach. If you go speak and one person in the room becomes a prospect and becomes a client with the average client on the front end being worth a quarter of a million dollars to your business, you know, pe- people are thrilled to death if they get a $5,000 speaking fee in a sense, you just got paid a quarter of a million dollars to give that speech.
1: Exactly, and um, when you speak, um, I think your gross margin is very, very high. So if someone pays you five grand, they might pay you five grand plus expenses. Thus, your gross margin might be five grand. Our gross margin is not two hundred fifty thousand dollars on a two hundred fifty thousand dollar project, but it's way more than five thousand dollars. So. Right. Pays out, you know, many, many, many times better than a five thousand dollars speaking fee.
0: So, so the, the book's been transformational from a um, perception standpoint, from a credibility standpoint, uh, with speaking engagements, with publicity and media. Uh, what are some of the other ways that you've incorporated the book into your business that, that listeners might find interesting or that they could learn from themselves?
1: Um, so, on, on the lead generation side, what we've done very um, overtly is we currently send out mass emails to folks. And, you know, we have a cadence. You know, every month we send out something in two weeks we follow. up, But what we've incorporated click here for a uh, copy of the book. And I guess just that link has generated a lot more leads than in the past where people had to push reply to speak to us. So the fact that they're getting something of value, that helps. But um, in the face-to-face selling situation that you brought up, um, so I'm actually uh, headed to a face-to-face selling situation now, and I do this all the time, and there's three sellers who um, work with me, who report to me, who do it also is. I'll make sure during the conversation somehow the book comes up. So um, if there's a lull at the beginning, like we're waiting for somebody, I'll pull it out at the beginning and say, hey, Adam, just wanted to let you know, um, I really appreciate you inviting me in, and as a little token of my appreciation, I got you this book. And they'll say, oh, that's very nice. And then you know I'll, I'll have my finger on the cover of the book pointing to my name, and I'll be like, Yes, um, I think this person who wrote it, I heard he's a future Pulitzer Prize winner, and there'll be a lot of giggling. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you wrote this book. And we get off onto a five-minute conversation about the book. So uh, I used it a at the beginning. But most often what I do is when somebody asks me a question, because so someone will ask the question, I'll say, you know what, that's actually a pretty, uh, that's a great question. The answer is pretty intense, uh, pretty deep. Let me give you an overview, and I'll answer the question. Then I'll reach around to my backpack, and I'll pull out the copy of the book. I'll say, for more details, if you read chapter, you know, four of the books of my book, it explains that even more. So, you know, skim through it. Give me a call next week if you have more questions, um, and we can even talk more about it. And then, again, the meeting will pause. Oh, my gosh, you wrote this book. Um, So that's, uh, that's how it's used in a lead generation and then a personal selling. And then, you know, worst case is if for some reason I forget, um, which I have at times, forget to give it out, I'll definitely do it at the end. When we start talking, you know, next steps, next meeting, I'll pull up, okay, I want to give a little token of my appreciation. And, again, we go off on the file, Oh, wow, this is so neat. You know, can you sign it? Can I get a copy of my manager? All that. So those would be, I'd say, kind of a couple, three areas where it's, where it's used routinely
0: the the shock and awe factor when when people in a meeting find out that you've written a book and then you give them a book the the shock and awe factor alone can usually more than pay for the book uh, and that's just one element <laughs> yeah
1: it is uh, that's those are, you know you obviously you do this for a living uh, shock and awe is the right word. Because they're like, oh my gosh, you know, and I, even some of my friends who, um, you know, my friends outside of work, um, you know, we'll be out to dinner with my wife and, you know, my friend and his or his wife or, or her husband, and, you know, we'll just somehow be talking and either me or my wife will say something and I'm like, oh, you know, I just got another case delivered, copies of my book to my house. I'm like, your book? You wrote a book? I'm like, yeah, and they're like, how did you do that? Like, how do you have time? How difficult was that? How do you know all this stuff? People are just, you know, thinking you're the next, you know, J.K. Rowling. Um, it's like, you know, this is that's kind of the echelon. People are in awe. Awe is the right word. Yeah, that
0: that, that that's so true. Uh, I, I want to switch the topic for a minute, Scott. Y- you did something rather unique. Um, you had uh four other co-authors join you in the book, and specifically the co-authors that were involved in the book are in your industry, uh, some with your company, some not with your company, um, a high, as I understand, a high referral relationship back and forth with all the people. But I want you to explain um, exactly what you did, and then maybe share the pros of having co-authors in a book and also some of the cons of having co-authors in a book. It, it, it was a very sophisticated marketing angle that you took. And for the right company, in, in your case, the right company, it's a really great idea. Um, for some industries, for some businesses, it probably doesn't work as well. But but share with our listeners a little bit more about that.
1: Okay. Um, so first, let's talk about uh, kind of the marketing angle and then the pros and cons. So the marketing angle was really twofold. It was, I want the content of the book to be great. Um, I don't think it's going to be J.K. Rowling great, where we're going to sell that many copies. To your point, very niche. But I want the content to be better than I think I'm capable of doing. And when I think about my section of the book was on regional marketing, um, I didn't think that was a broad enough topic to get enough people to read the book so like a broader topic which would be um, you know an evergreen book would be the future of pharmaceutical marketing and if I want to write a book on the future of pharmaceutical marketing regional marketing can be a section but I needed you know two or three other sections on future trends to really um, broaden out the book so it was hey I have this like you said, this referral base of companies I work with often. Let me go ask a few of them if they'd like to participate in this project. And it was really about broadening the content so I think it would have more appeal. Um, in parallel, I was thinking about how am I going to market the book? And I didn't think a lot of people are going to buy the book because they're not going to really know it for sale someone browses Barnes & Noble, they're not going to see it on the shelf. You know, that's not the type of book this is. It's mostly going to be handed out. So I was like, well, you know, if I can have myself hand out copies of books and, you know, three or four of my colleagues at other companies hand out books, we're going to get four times the amount of books handed out. And it is a uh, small industry, so there's probably – 100 pharmaceutical companies that we're targeting. Some companies would have as little as, you know, five targets within their company. Some t- companies might have as many as a 100. But, you know, all said, there might only be five or 10,000 potential buyers um, in the whole industry. So it's like, you know what, between the three or four of us handing out books, we might be able to hand it out to, Virtually every single one of our targets. So, um, it was very, very choiceful, better content, better distribution of the book. Those were the intent of having co authors.
0: And, you know, Scott, I just think that, that there's a lot of smart thinking that, that went into this. Um, uh, it's obvious that you were very proactive. In, in really creating the marketing strategy for the book before you created the book, which is something that we preach very heavily here at Advantage. Um, so so the, the benefits are obvious, as you just mentioned, uh, increased breadth of topic and then also increased what I'll call distribution. Um, so there were also some downsides to it as well. Uh, what were those cons, if you will?
1: Well, two other um, maybe maybe obvious pros were, you know, we split the cost of writing the book and we split the work. So instead of me having to write, I don't know, I think the book's 40,000 words, instead of me having to write 40,000 words, you know, I only have to do 8,000 words. So split the cost, split the work. But the cons were um, I have much less control of the timeline. So I I thought it was going to be a lot less work. Um, It still took a good bit of work because I spent a lot of time, you know, quote-unquote, herding cats. I was extremely motivated and extremely passionate to do this book. And the other authors, it was a big priority for them. So they had different visions, different timelines, and, um, you know, maybe – 20% of the time saved was now spent managing five other authors. So uh, that would have that, that is uh, down that was the downside for me is different visions by the authors, different timelines by the authors.
0: Yeah, I, I think it, it it's a neat story because in your industry and because of the business that you're in and the small number of targets that there are Uh, it was probably the smart decision because it bolstered distribution and it also bolstered breadth of topic. Uh, But as you say, the downside is whenever you involve other parties, there's always a hurting that must happen. And then in addition to that, uh, as you said, where the book fell on their priority list might be different than where it was on your list.
1: Right. So. Again, you know, one author said yes, and then he backed out in the middle. It's like, oh my gosh! And uh, one of the authors worked at a um, large company, um, SAS which is a um, you know multi-billion-dollar company. So he's like, hey, um, you know, you need to sign this contract of what's going to happen with the book, and I'm like, contract? Like, this is all handshake, you know, like.
0: Right. I'm
1: not a author company. It's like, well, that's what happens when you work with billion-dollar companies, which I know because my business is that way. Um, but I saw more, hey, I'm calling a couple of my you know, work friends, handshake, let's do this and go. And this staff guy, which it turned out to be a blessing in disguise, wanted more formality because his company required it, and thus I used some of that formality with the other authors which which actually helped in the end because I'm like, hey, you know, when we talk about this, if you look at page one of our agreement, this is what it says. I kind of need you to do this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're right. So, um, but again, you know, a herding cat is the best uh, explanation of the con. Um,
0: Having gone through everything with with bringing a book to market, um, what advice, what tips do you have for other authors on the call that may be earlier on in their journey?
1: Um, you know, one, one person told me, hey, Scott, you can do this on your own. Um, you know, just you know, get a pen and paper and start writing. It's not that complicated. And um, even after having done it with you, I still think um, it's uh, – yeah, you know, it, it took a lot of effort, and the fact that uh, I used, you know, a, a professional like you guys, and I'm sure you have competitors who are also good, I'd say, you know, at least the first time, and for me definitely the first and the second, I would uh, I would hire a professional to help hold my hand and walk me through the process. So um, that would be the one piece of advice. Second is um, begin with the marketing objectives not with the content. Like, I have a friend who wrote a book, and it was really, you know, about his childhood growing up. And he, um, you know, sold 20 copies of the book to his 20 friends, and that's it. And him and I talked about it. He's like, yeah, you know, this was all about I wanted to do it myself and get it done. Now he's uh, writing another book, and, and I actually put him in touch with you, where he's more starting with the end in mind, a book that he thinks actually will have broader appeal. So I'd say uh, those for me are the two big things is, um, you know, use professionals like you would hire an accountant or a lawyer, even though you can probably figure it out yourself. That's why they're professionals. And then, second, really uh, think about what is your marketing objective? Why are you doing this? Is it, um, hey, I just want to become a published author, which, which is great. Mine was more of, I want to create this marketing tool to help grow my business.
0: Scott, you're a marketing guy. You you do all kinds of marketing things in your business. Um, How does the book compare ounce to ounce to all of the other marketing tools that are at your disposal?
1: Um, So uh, it it took um, much more effort to build. And it's the lead generation people have said it's by far the best tool we've created to get us leads. Um, and I'd say in our meetings where I pull it out at the shock and awe value, again, it gets more shock and awe value than anything else. So I'd say uh, it was by far the most resource-intensive marketing tool for us to build. And it's the best marketing resource we have. Um, Now I don't know if it uh, it it costs ten times as much to build and it's twenty times as good. It costs ten times as much to build and it's five times as much as good, or it's you know perfect. It took ten times as much and it's ten times as good. But it's been our uh, most resource intense and best marketing tool.
0: Well, Scott, um, I know that our back is against the clock. Uh, and I want to thank you so much for your time and, and sharing um, your takeaways and your experience and, and your insights as to how you have used a book. Uh, of course, people can find your book uh, online uh, or anywhere books are sold. The title of the book is Results, the Future of Pharmaceutical and Healthcare Marketing. And, and I want to mention that if anyone is in, in the business of B2B, Uh, if you sell to other businesses, buying a copy of your book and studying how you have done it is actually a very useful exercise because you're very explicit on who you're for and who you're not, and and the book is consistent with that. Um, So I I really tip my hat because your book is a a marketing example of of smart ways to create books uh, in the B2B market uh, for those that want to get in touch with you Scott uh a website or a phone number that you might point people to
1: um, our website is uh healthcare it's that site so uh, for, if you just do a google search healthcare regional marketing um, we're typically the first one that comes up and um you click on that and i think it has a, a page about um, Meet the leadership team, and, you know, I'm listed on the president, so I'm right there on the website. But uh, it's uh, HRM experts is the website.
0: Well, Scott, I want to thank you uh, for sharing today. And uh, on behalf of Scott Weintraub, I'm Adam witty. Thank you for listening to this month's Author Success University Teleseminar presented by Advantage Media Group. To have your book considered for publishing by Advantage, visit us online at advantagefamily.com. And make sure you tell us that you tuned into this Author Success University call for a complimentary Grow Your Business with a Book discovery call. Until next time, take care.